Hi, this is Mark, and welcome to episode 11 of Nerdology. Just about managed to get that out. And today I am joined by Bill Linus. Hi, Bill. Hi. You expect me to talk? <laughs> <laughs> I was kind of hoping you might. Uh, we're here today to talk about Bond, James Bond. Skyfall, but seeing as it's a pretty special year for James Bond, it's the 50th anniversary, there's a hell of a lot we can try and pack into one episode of a show. I think Bill could quite happily do like a four-hour recording. I could uh, probably do a podcast just on Dr. No. Oh my God. One on From Russia With Love. One on, well, let's, let's, let's try and cut it down. This <laughs> is may fall asleep. Yeah. <laughs> so obviously we're going to be talking about Skyfall. Um, the latest film so if you haven't seen it yet and you're desperate to see it I would probably recommend listening to this after you've seen the film because we will get quite spoilery Um, so there's your warning don't blame us if we ruin it for you Um, what do you think of Skyfall? Um, I thoroughly enjoyed Skyfall Um, I've been a Bond fan since I was 10 so that's back in 1974 when I saw Man with the Golden Gun at Christmas 74. Mm-hmm. And so I tend to go in these days expecting a bit more from Daniel Craig and the writers and directors. So I tend to go in a bit harsh. And having seen Skyfall, yeah. and I know we're going to give away a few things, but um, the gun barrel sequence where he walks on, turns and shoots was at the end. There's yeah, a that's of a throw. strange one. They've done it with, um, perhaps we'll talk about at the end of the film a bit later. They've mm. done it at the end of the last two Daniel Craigs. Mm. Um, originally, of course, from Doctor No onwards, right up until Casino Royale, the first Daniel Craig, it mm. wasn't there. Uh, the, the strange thing with the the gun barrel is the first few films, the very first person you see as Bond is not Sean Connery. You see Bond in silhouette, walk, turn, shoot. Mm-hmm. He's got his hat on. You can't see his face. It's actually Bob Simmons. Stunt. Right. Uh, he's a stuntman. Worked on the Bond films <clears throat> through. From Connery and Doctor No right up through to sort of Roger Moore and Timothy Dalton era in the 80s. Mm. It was only, I think, when they did Thunderball in widescreen, they realised we need Connery because you can probably see his face. Yeah, you can tell it's not him. Not going to be a silhouette. But now they've moved that to the end of Skyfall, I suppose the beginning, and a couple of throwaway lines that didn't quite work. I can't find anything else to criticise about the film. I thought it was brilliant, you know, after Quantum of Solace, which I really wanted to like, and kind of left me feeling a bit meh um this was a real breath of fresh air yeah they had a writer's strike during court of a solace and even daniel craig and the director had to sit down and write and mm. daniel craig said i'm not a writer i can't do this and it just didn't it had the ingredients like some of the other bond films but yeah. it just didn't work skyfall from beginning to end is just 
you know, really, really gripping. The script is good. There's some great lines. And establishing the characters, I think, is very well done. Um, Javier Bardem playing the main villain. Yeah, I think he's brilliant. He does one speech about rats as he walks towards mm. Bond in this very long room and Bond's tied to a chair at the end. And in that one speech, he establishes himself. Yeah. And again, Q, it's Ben It's Ben Wishall. Yeah. I'm never sure his surname. Who, great actor. If anyone sees the film Perfume, he's got the lead role in that. Mm. He's superb. And in one scene with Daniel Craig, he establishes himself as yeah. Q. He reminded me a little bit of Matt Smith. Yes, the geeky, the the look. Yes, if Matt Smith would have made him, I'm sure he would have made him. (laughs) (laughs) A very, a very good cue. And there's nice references to age. Obviously, Desmond Llewellyn Mm. was incredibly old um, by the time it came to his last Bond film, The World Is Not Enough. And it's nice Bond making comments about being Q being too young, and Q making comments perhaps about Bond being a little bit too old you know if i was really <laughs> anal about the films and books as i am mm-hmm. i daniel craig's now 44 in the books when you're 45 you're out of the double o section yeah you're too old they don't want you to be like that but oh. craig still looks young enough although in some scenes in the film he does look certainly beginning very warm yeah relying on drink and drugs but which... i think it's to me it made more sense to have in this film you've got bond having to prove himself and you get into that situation and certainly growing up as a kid watching the Roger Moore ones, you kind of felt like he was indestructible and there was no way that he could ever lose. Whereas with this film, there's a lot at stake. Um, his future in MI6 and I think it's... Uh, you kind of know that he's going to win out in the end, but it just adds that extra bit of tension to it. Yeah, he signed for two more films. Mm. There's a good chance he's going to Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, there is, there's got to be a certain amount of... But I know it's a fantasy world, but believability with a yeah. lot of the later Connerys, like You Only Live Twice, mm. when Connery was then very bored with the role. Mm. And again, with the Roger Moore films, it was a lot of which gadget do I use to get myself out of yeah. this? And there was no tension. With this, It's there aren't very many gadgets in the film. Mm. There's a couple of old gadgets that reappear, which is nice. But yeah. um, it's nice that I think Bond, when he meets Q... And he's given certain things, turns to Q and says something along the lines of a gun and a radio. It's not exactly Christmas, is it? <laughs> and, and Q says, what do you expect? An exploding pen. Yeah. You know, which is a nice reference to yeah, Never nice Say Never Again, the yeah. Connery remake, where he did have an exploding pen. Mm. But it's, yeah, it's more relying on Bond's skill. Well, that's what they've focused on from Casino Royale, isn't it? They With the start <laughs> of this kind of reboot, if you want to call it that, they kind of pared down a lot of the gadgets that were synonymous with the, the previous films and it's made nice it to the... have them but you haven't got like in Moonraker you know a gondola that turns into a speedboat and then becomes a hovercraft going across St Mark's Square mm-hmm. and you just want to die in your seat and curl up so <laughs> no one sees you and not admit you're a Bond fan whereas in this it was very much it reminded me and people are going to think this is a bit crazy of the Rocky films whereas Rocky is very much the underdog yeah and you know he's going to win ultimately, but, but Stallone wrote it that he was the underdog, and mm. therefore when he does win, you're much more up for it and excited. The same with Bond than this. Bond can't shoot straight, mm. he's taking drugs, he's drinking heavily. It's not perhaps, it's perhaps more the Bond of the books. I don't know if it's helped really make it such a quite a positive response to the film, but I think certainly in my own experience, because i really didn't like Quantum of Solace that much I went in with fairly low expectations 
And I think that helps immensely because you're not kind of building it up into something that it's not going to be. And then when it turns out to be a really great film, it's somehow takes on a, an even greater status. Yeah, I've done with that films over the years that you go and expecting a lot and you're disappointed. You mm. go and expecting not much and you really enjoy it. I mean, I was amazed. I came out expecting a great deal from Skyfall. Mm. And I came out and I was delighted with it. So mm. I was going in fairly harsh and thinking, well they've got to live up to this how are they going to do it and they I'll say certainly the, I mean the writing um, Neil Purvis and Robert Wade have written or co-written most of the Bond films since 1999 mm. and John Logan who's a writer who's helped out on this one I mean within <laughs> the power of the internet within days of Skyfall being out they're already saying John Logan is writing the next Bond film right or the next two Bond films possibly mm. which may be a two-parter and they're now saying that um, Purvis and Wade are no longer writing them. Yeah. Whether that's true, you know, but instantly, the days I used to watch a Bond film, if you saw a photograph of it in the press, that was pretty exciting. Yeah. These days, I try and avoid as many spoilers as I can. There's a very good Bond site uh, called commanderbond.net. Yeah. And on commanderbond.net, they do everything going on. Uh, books, films, anything to do with Bond. But they yeah. would generally go, this contains spoilers. This contains major spoilers, yeah. so you don't read on and spoil it. But I can... So you've got the option to choose what you read. Yeah, and yeah. often things they hear on there do become true, but sometimes they'll say, look, we heard this rumour, we haven't put it out, mm. uh, and now we will because it's officially announced. Mm -hmm. And especially with Skyfall, where there are some you know, good surprises yeah. along the line, certainly yeah. with who's who towards the end yeah. of the film and things, which I really enjoy, and I don't know if I can discuss that <laughs> without... <laughs> You know, because that would be major spoilers for people. Yeah. But I, th I think for me, the cast right across the board was so strong in this one. Everyone was really top notch. In it's my a faultless piece of casting, and mm. certainly the last scene of the film sets it up for the next film. Absolutely, yeah. Where you've got three new characters mm. who perhaps are old characters, and yeah. and I'm excited about the next one already, just based on what they could do with it. Mm. And it was a very traditional. Bond film, much closer to the style of Fleming. Certainly, Javier Bardem was a very Fleming-esque villain. Yeah. He was really excellent, but also just lovely little touches. When you see M's office at one point, it's got the old padded leather door, yeah. which it used to have back in the 60s and 70s. Mm -hmm. So they, they put traditional elements. I think I read that um, Sam Mendes and Daniel Craig sat down being Bond fans and said, what do you like in a Bond film? Mm. And they both put all their ideas together. Yeah. And said, okay, we'll put those in and we'll get a script written, but here's the key ingredients that yeah. we would like in the film. Some bullet points. Mm. Mm. But these days, I mean, there seems to be Daniel Craig certainly has a huge amount of power that no other actor as Bond has ever had, mm. which I, I like because the press and everybody slated Daniel Craig yeah. before there had been one single clip of the film. Yeah. There was a website called CraigIsNotBond.com. Mm. They just attacked him without seeing anything. And I think in the opening of Sooner Ryle, he totally destroyed the critics yeah. and showed how Absolutely, long yeah. they were. That he is, to me, very close to Bond in the books. I find he's very much like Timothy Dalton. Yeah. And some people really don't like Timothy Dalton. But I remember seeing Licence to Kill back in 1989. Mm. And even I came out of the cinema being a big fan of the books and thinking... Do I like that? Yeah. Because Licence to Kill was such a radically different film. Yeah. But if you filmed Licence to Kill after Daniel Craig's Casino Royale, it, yeah, would, it would make perfectly. sense. Yeah. But back in the 80s, they weren't ready for it. I think the thing is, particularly, maybe it's down to my age, but 
you know, I grew up in the 70s, so for me, Roger Moore was Bond, and he was a, a really long-serving Bond, and that particular style that they created for his take on it became what you automatically thought of as definitive Bond. So anything that moves away from that tends to grate with people who have that uh, particular fondness for that time period. Yeah, they like. didn't like taking risks. They had a formula that made them a lot of money. Mm. And they knew they needed to stick to that. Yeah. Although the films, they you know, regardless, it was changing the role. Although Roger Moore was a known actor through series like The Saint and The Persuaders yeah. and other films like Crossplot, The Man Who Haunted Himself. He was known and mm. a very big actor. Mm. But it was still recasting it. Well, we'll try and stick to the formula. They did advise Roger Moore at the time. They talked to him and said, well, you know, we won't get you to order a vodka martini shaken, not stirred. Mm -hmm. Um, Try not to raise your eyebrow too much like you did in The Saint. (laughs) (laughs) And they did talk to him. And he said, even in his his, um, book about Live and Let Die, and he's often quoted in interviews that Mm. he would start saying, my name's Bond, and start doing it with a Scottish accent. Okay. You know, it was very difficult to get out of Connery. Whereas yeah. when Lazenby took over as Bond for mm. the Sea Secret Service, Bond was very big in the 60s. Yeah. They'd never changed the actor. And Lazenby admitted in interviews he didn't have any problems taking over. He mm. said he was very cocky or very up himself. And one of the things in an interview, they said to Lazenby, what's your body like? And Lazenby said, better than Connery's, and started to take his shirt off. He was very confident, despite the fact he wasn't an actor. Mm. But as the years go on, it becomes such an iconic role Mm. that you've got to do your own... You know, some of that presence, I think, screen presence. Yeah, I mean, the producers now, literally, when they they just got rid of Pierce Brosnan. Mm. That was it. Mm. He's not signed up, you're not in the next film. Yeah. And I know there was a hiatus with lots of different things going on between the movies, yeah. but they recast, and they have no fears about doing that. They will recast, obviously, after Daniel Craig's done his next couple of Bond films, and someone else will take over. Uh, but where do you go? Do you maintain the seriousness that they've put in place? With bits of humour creeping into Skyfall, which is good to see. So do you think it's easier or more difficult with a sort of present team that they've got that they have to come up with original ideas rather than relying on uh, Ian Fleming's Yeah, but novels? the Fleming novels ran out a long time ago. and They were lucky to still get ideas. I mean, even films like later on, like um, Licence to Kill, mm. that Timothy Dalton was in, they took, you know, bits of the original novel, Live and Let Die, where Phoenix Light is fed to the sharks. Mm. Or for your eyes only, um, Bond and Solitaire are keelhauled across the coral. Yeah. Uh, in the film, um, yeah, Bond and the Girl, it's the same in um, For Your Eyes Only, but they've taken that from Fleming book. There's very little left of Fleming. Mm. I mean, in Skyfall, the only reference, and Purvis and Wade have been writing them for quite a few years, always like to reference a little bit from the books. Yeah. And in this, they reference uh, James Bond's parents. Yeah. Um, the the real, a lot of the rest of it. No, it's all made up. And the next film, there's nothing to base Fleming mm. on. I'd hope they take a couple of little bits from the books. Yeah. There's no real titles of books left except for a few short stories like Property of a Lady or mm-hmm. Risico or The Hillbrand Rarity. Yeah. Which aren't really catchy. <laughs> Not quite Skyfall, is it? <laughs> no. But it's nice to have a, you know, a Bond film where at least the theme song or the title of the film doesn't have the word die in it anymore yeah you know although I, tomorrow never dies funny enough should have yeah. been tomorrow never lies mm. uh in the film elliot carver the main villain runs a paper called tomorrow and there was an error 
getting the information across. And they mm. thought the title of the film was not Tomorrow Never Lies. They thought it was Tomorrow Never Dies. Oh. And by that stage, they started printing things up and went, OK, we've changed it, we're stuck with it. Yeah. Um, so Skyfall, it is nice to have a title. And it is, you know, without giving away what Skyfall is, mm. people probably know what it is now, mm. but it's nice when you find out what Skyfall is yeah. in, in the film. Great well, theme. Yeah, Adele. They've gone amazingly from, you know, to one of the best Bond themes with Adele. Yeah. I love all the backing vocals that mm. they do repeating it. Um, after the worst Bond theme ever from <laughs> Alicia Keys and, and Jack White. Um, yeah. And even worse, that was even worse than Madonna's Die Another Day. And that's going some. And that's going some. Well, I was <laughs> Sorry, Madonna the, fans. <laughs> yeah, I always felt the opening of Die Another Day when you see Bond in the opening titles being tortured in Korea, mm. uh, bitten by scorpions, beaten up, I thought, well, don't do that. Just play the Die Another Day thing to him and he'll confess everything. <laughs> in fact, Die Another Day, I mean, Mark, you're more, a, you're not, a, you know, an anally obsessed Bond fan like myself. I'm mainly obsessed, but you're not necessarily about Bond. But, <laughs> but what, what do you think of Die Another Day as a film? It, as a last for film, me, it, for me, there's a couple that really great, um, Die Another Day is one of them. The other one, um, Quantum of Solace. Uh, but Die Another Day, for me, what really bugged me and what I loved about the Bond films previously was the fact that what you saw on the screen was pretty much, you know, obviously with a bit of film trickery, real life. You'd have amazing stunts and set pieces. And it got so reliant on CGI and invisible cars and it just... Uh, I just lost any kind of uh, enthusiasm for it. Yeah, so I went in watching it, and the first half of the film, I loved the first half with him captured in Korea, mm. tortured. It was much more like the Bond of the books. In the films, mm. he in the books, he pretty much gets tortured every time. In the yeah. films, it rarely happens. But the second half of Die Another Day, it was like someone else had taken over writing it. We wanted a visible yeah. car. We want. This gadget and the worst CGI when he does that strange surfing sequence, mm. which is completely CGI'd. And they always try, the, the stuntmen have always tried to get things as realistic as possible. They yeah. might be wired up, they might do a little trick shot here and there, yeah. but it's never totally cheated. Mm. Even in Skyfall, Daniel Craig fights a villain on top of the train in the pre credit sequence. Yeah. You know, the stuntmen do the dangerous bits, but he's up there doing his own action, he's wired up. But, you know, they're still travelling at 60, 70 miles an hour, yeah. and it's great to see them doing that. I mean, that opening sequence in Skyfall, for me, it's, it's getting back to Bond again uh, after Quantum of Solace, which was effectively just generic action movie <laughs> with James Bond stuck into it. Yeah, a lot of ones, I think, like The World Is Not Enough. Uh, you know, great chase up the Thames. The yeah. beginning of The World Is Not Enough. Very I love iconic. the chase, apart from when the, you know, they then get the boat to go across dry land and we're back into sort of... <laughs> <laughs> 70s bomb that doesn't work but a yeah. lot of it was good but you find out okay we need a car scene a shootout a ski chase great we've got all those yeah damn we need a script to link those bits together whereas skyfall there are big big gaps between the action sequences yeah. it's not one action sequence after the other no and because of the casting and the directing it is a very you know i think it's very flabby it's a very literary bond film it's still fun there are good one-liners. Mm. I don't think... <laughs> I think Daniel Craig's not the same thing as Timothy Dalton. Timothy Dalton being a Shakespearean actor. They're both good actors, but unlike you know, Roger Moore, George Lazenby, Sean Connery, that they can't do throwaway lines. No. Some of the throwaway lines in the film work nicely. Others 
they don't work quite so well. But it's nice to see them back in. I think it's a balancing act, isn't it? You look at someone like Roger Moore, he's quite very suave and, you know, he could really do those one-liners, you know, in his sleep. But he wasn't really what I thought of as a sort of hard man role, whereas at the opposite end of it, you've got, like you say, Dalton and uh, now Daniel Craig, who are really sort of, you know, hardened... Uh, MI6 agents who ruthlessly sort of take down their opponents, but you know you can't. I don't think you can quite balance that off against the little quips as well. No, I mean that's it. Bond is a killer, despite it's a fantasy world. And mm. one of the scenes in Skyfall, which I know is in the trailer, so I give away too much. But mm. where he's he's doing word association yeah. with a psychologist, and the psychologist says murder, and Bond says employment. Yeah. And that's exactly what it is. Even Roger Moore, when he read the book Goldfinger, mm-hmm. he read a scene in there where Bond has, you know, been and killed somebody at the airport, and he's not particularly happy about it. He mm. does his job. Mm. He doesn't enjoy killing no. people, but it's what he does. But even Roger Moore, I mean, there are scenes in films like Spy Love Me. Mm-hmm. He's with the uh, the Anya Anasova, who's the Russian agent, and there's a nice scene between them where Roger Moore, in a very serious mode. She thinks that he could have possibly killed uh, her lover hmm. in a ski chase. And, and Roger Moore says at one point a line along the lines of, you know, when you're on skis at 40 miles an hour and someone's trying to put a bullet in your back, you don't always have time to remember a face. <laughs> and it's like quite sort of, you know, for Bond, yeah. it's quite serious. The yeah. rest of the film is very jokey, tongue-in-cheek. Mm-hmm. But, you know, Roger Moore, when he was called to be serious, mm. it's the other way with Bonds. I almost don't want them to become the books and become so dark. Mm. And so depressing. Skyfall, I think, was a good balance between a serious Bond, some humorous moments which worked. It was just a really good balance. Yeah. Certainly down to the writing and directing of it. Yeah. And Roger Deakins, I think, who did the cinematography, I love the way it was filmed. Yeah, it's really nicely shot. Uh, I think we we had a chat before recording. I think you were quite happy that they hadn't gone for this overly graded sort of colour palette. They just went for a natural No, watching look. certain TV series and films these days, they think, wash out the colours. Sometimes washing the colour out is for atmosphere, and it works. There's some series on recently, I think, called Hunted. I watched a couple of episodes. Mm. Like, they just wash the colours out. Why? They spent years developing Technicolour, yeah. years getting it right, and then they wash the colours out for no reason. It's becoming really boring. And the colours in Skyfall are very vibrant. There mm. are scenes in you know, Scotland, things which are much darker, but scenes in Shanghai, Macau. Yeah. And I was fortunate enough earlier in the week to see it at the IMAX in London. And the in the IMAX, I found the scenes where you see overhead shots of London, Macau, Shanghai. Yeah. They look gorgeous. Yeah. They're brilliant. And some of the other scenes, there's a fight scene in Silhouette, just he'll put in nice little angles a shot from the train at the beginning mm-hmm. or there'll be smoke somewhere an orange light from flames in the background it's not arty it's not an art house film but there are lovely touches in it that yeah. you think that would make a nice publicity some still. thoughts gone into it you know. yeah they did think instead of rushing it and trying mm-hmm. to get in out as quick as possible mm-hmm. so do you by the sound of it it sounds like you prefer the films to the, the original books or is that no I, uh, <laughs> if it was <laughs> Desert Island and they said uh, as much as I'm enthused about the films you have to choose the books or the films I would choose the books every time yeah but you know there aren't many films close to books but you have to take the films for what they are mm. even Roger Moore films like Moonraker is terrible <laughs> 
But you then get a line with Hugo Drax, the villain, talking to his assistant. It says, look after Mr. Bond. See that some harm comes to him. <laughs> some of the lines are lovely. They're yeah. witty. They're good. But it doesn't quite work. Back in the Roger Moore days, I was looking for good bits in the films yeah. that relate to the books and think, oh, that's a nice touch. And the rest of it, you just deal with the comedy. Mm-hmm. These days, no, it's, it's, it is more serious. Uh, but yeah, I, you almost have to take the books and the films separate. But I must admit, the way they've done it with Daniel Craig, I think they've done such a good job. Mm. And he and probably Timothy Dalton are close to Bond in the books. I like Connery. Yeah. Everybody, Terence Young, the director of Doctor No, said disaster, disaster, disaster. You know, but like Craig Weatherall Hallwood were doing Strictly. <laughs> you know, when, when he heard that Connery had been cast, Ian Fleming yeah. thought no. And a lot of people who worked with Connery on Doctor No thought he was very rough around the edges. Mm. Director Terence Young got Connery into suits, dressed him up, made him sleep in his suits, and Connery made the part his own and yeah. turned things around. And, and later on, he got very bored by the time he only lived twice. And sadly, after Lazenby, and I think Automatically Circus Service is a great film and still my favourite, yeah. when Diamonds Are Forever came back and Connery came back, Diamonds Are Forever, I think, is one of the worst Bond films. Mm. It's stupid, it's tongue-in-cheek, it, it just doesn't work at all. But that a lot of people don't like on a Magic Secret Service, which is still my favourite because it's very close to the book. And I still think it's quite an emotional film. There's a couple of scenes in that that to me were reflected in Skyfall. Mm. Yeah. Where Bond is a human being. Yeah. And he's not just relying on gadgets. But again, at the time, Skyfall is fine now after two fairly serious Bond films. Whereas on a Magic Secret Service was a bit of a shock after you only lived twice. There yeah. was no giant volcano. Mm. There was nothing like that. It was like you'd gone back to basics. Uh, and same thing as License to Kill with Timothy Dalton. It was too soon. Now, people are getting used to it. So what do you think of Lazenby as Bond? I think he... I really like Lazenby. It's difficult. He couldn't act. And he admitted to director Peter Hunt after they got through all the audition process and everything. He said, Peter, I can't act. Uh, and Peter Hunt hid a lot of what Lazenby couldn't do. Mm. Lazenby often said, I'd do a scene... Telly Savars with Blofeld had all his lines down mm-hmm. and Lazenby said I was working really hard to try and get it just right. In the physical scenes, Lazenby was very, very good. Yeah. And I think the emotional scene where Tracy, Diana Rigg, is killed at the end of the film, they did originally two takes, one where Lazenby openly cries yeah. and the director cut it and said Bond doesn't cry. Um, so he was just, you know, he was he was crying but he didn't mm. see tears at the mm. end when his, when his wife's killed. And the same thing in Skyfall. There's a scene in that where Daniel Craig's upset. And I think it was back to that. I like I like the emotional side of Bond. But sadly, Lazenby had very bad advice. He was in his 20s. Mm-hmm. He was told it's the hippie movement. It's the time of films like Easy Rider. Bond's dead. He's finished. Um, don't do this. And he was originally signed up for more. And they were hoping the end of the Fondamentally Secret Service was James Bond being married, driving off from the wedding. Right. End of movie. <laughs> opening for Diamonds Are Forever Bond driving off with Tracy Tracy's murdered on to Diamonds Are Forever mm. that was the way it wasn't a downbeat ending mm. it was a happy ending and I think Diamonds Are Forever would have been a far better film than the rubbish that Sean Connery did it was such a shame to go out on that although he came back and never say never again yeah sort of unofficial yeah, there's lots of, and I won't bore anybody because that'll be the rest of the podcast. Gone. But there, <laughs> there was complications with the book. Fleming wrote a screenplay with Jack Whittingham and Kevin McClory, and it was going to be the first Bond film, Thunderball. Mm. 
Uh, it never materialised. Fleming kept the ideas like any good author and reused it. There was then a court case because some of the ideas in the book weren't Fleming's. Right. Eventually, they started making the films with Doctor No because Thunderball back in 62 was too big and too expensive to make as a first mm. Bond film. Mm. They only had a budget of a million dollars. And they made it later with Kevin McClory producing and the agreement he could make a Bond film for 10 years because he still had the rights to Thunderball and various versions of the script, including other characters like Fatima Blush, mm. who became the, one of the main villains in Never Say Never Again. It was then going to be, when he worked on it for years, it was going to be James Bond of the Secret Service, Warhead, different titles. Mm. Uh, Sean Connery's wife came up with the title Never Say Never Again much later on because Connery said, I'll never do Bond again, and he <laughs> did. But originally he was writing the script with Len Dayton, who mm. wrote the uh, novels like The Icarus File. Yeah. And he was only writing and working on it. He had no intention of playing Bond. And then people going, why not? And he thought, okay, I'll do it. But again, never say never again. Like some of the Bonds, it has the ingredients, but they didn't really have the budget. Connery's good. Klaus Maria Brando as Largo is excellent. Again, good casting. Mm. Bernie Casey as Felix Leiter. Mm -hmm. You know, great. They had a really good cast in Never Say Never Again, like they have in Skyfall. But Never Say Never Again doesn't, you know, work. I mean, it's got one of my favourite lines, I think, where Bond plays a game in the casino against the villain. Bond, of course, wins the game. And instead of accepting huge amounts of money, he said he wants to settle for one dance with the villain's girlfriend. Hmm. And the lovely line is, Klaus Maria Brando says, um, tell me, Mr. Bond, do you lose as gracefully as you win? And Bond turns to him and says, I wouldn't know, I've never lost. <laughs> and it's lovely, you know, there are lines like that, yeah. you know. On some lines, um, it's a bit strange to say this, but some of the lines weren't working and Connery got Dick Clement and Nina Frenet who's written things like oh, Porridge, yeah. to chip in unofficially, with no recognition mm. in the credits, some lines. Right. And there is a scene in there where Bond is uh, going to a health clinic. He's sitting down, and on the other side of the room, the nurse has got a sample jar. And she says, Mr. Bond, you know, could you do me a sample? And he says, what, from here? <laughs> it's a funny line, and... Dick Cleverly and Flannery admitted they nicked it from Porridge. Right. It's Ronnie Barker's line. Uh, so yeah. Ronnie Barker line the Bond film. But again, it's, you know, it's... Ronnie Barker is Bond. I think that Ronnie, could work. It could be. Well, <laughs> yeah, not now, but... Buddy Warren <laughs> could be in it. Grouty. It'd be great. Yeah, nice casting. But yeah, again, they, it didn't work. The remake, they tried. It has moments in it. And just for me, it, I, it's entertaining and watchable in places. I think there's something that's got 50 years of history behind it. You're bound to get spells where you get a bit of a dip. And then you get a resurgence. I think for me, more recently, GoldenEye was a real rejuvenation of the, <coughs> the series. GoldenEye was a nice comeback, like mm. Casino Royale. They put in the Aston Martin and nice yeah. old touches. But mm. then you had um, Judy Dench's M for the first time. Yeah. And she's done seven now. I can't believe she's been in so many. But yeah. she, she's been great. You know, she is great as M. And she really does it well. But her scenes with Bond were a little more antagonistic yeah and sort of trying to say that he's sexist he's out of date mm -hmm. and that's trouble bond fought against in the books a lot against the russian the cold war was over yeah they considered at one point setting some of the films in the past yeah. and i think that wouldn't work no. trying to go back the cold bits trying there is a secret service and there's a lot of lines out there now saying that m says in skyfall bond operates in the shadows mm -hmm. And certain government officials are trying to say, well, you know, there's been a lot of things going wrong here. Maybe we don't need this. Maybe there aren't shadows anymore. Mm. 
And it's nice that the film tries to turn it around and say we do need people like Bond. But it's difficult keeping it realistic. Roger Moore found that Bond, he played it very tongue-in-cheek because he always said Bond walks into a bar and someone comes up, oh, Mr Bond, you have vodka martini, shaken, not stirred? He said, how can this man be a spy? Everybody knows it. <laughs> yeah, it's true. And you've got to true. almost forget. You've got to forget that we've got 50 years of history mm. of the films. Mm. No one does know who Bond is. He's an undercover agent. Mm. I mean, the director, Lee Tamahori, well, I'm not sure how to pronounce his last name, he directed mm-hmm. Die Another Day, one of yeah. your favourites. Mm. Uh, <laughs> his idea was that James Bond 007 was all a code name. Yeah. And when Bond is played by another actor, they should meet up with a previous actor and they hand over the thing. I think that's daft and mm. silly. You know, in Fear Eyes Only, when Roger Moore perhaps wasn't going to be Bond, they kept the opening. Roger Moore did come back. The opening is him putting flowers on his wife's grave, Tracy. Yeah. From On Emergency Secret Service. Mm. So there is a, it is still the same character. Yeah. And they keep reinventing him. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, therefore you can say there's errors in Skyfall. There are things the Aston Martin comes back. Mm with certain gadgets from the 60s and it's like well hang on a minute that's Goldfinger Daniel sorry Daniel Craig was not involved in Goldfinger you've got, yeah. you know it's like Doctor yeah. Who there's a billion continuity errors oh, absolutely. you just got to treat it as a fun movie and and basically say look like with Doctor Who's a TV program Bond's a series of books and films and yeah. don't take it too seriously <laughs> but, but there is yeah. some nice dialogue when uh, Bond is uh giving Judy Dench a lift in the, the Aston. There is. She's... Are we allowed to spoil this? Yeah, go on. <laughs> we, we've okay. given oh, yeah, there's, there's a lovely bit where he's sitting there and Judy Dench is in the Aston Martin and she says it's very uncomfortable. Bond, personally, the bit I love, he flips up the notch on the gear stick <laughs> and underneath there's a red button. Yeah. Now, we all know that's the ejector seat from Goldfinger. Mm. And then Judy Dench says, oh, go ahead, eject me. And there was Wasn't a lot of needed. laugh in the cinema when I saw it. I loved flipping up it and seeing the red button. When she said eject me, it was just labouring the point yeah, too much. But yeah. if you're not a Bond fan, you may yeah, not know it was an ejector seat. So, but yeah, the flitting humour back into it with the Aston Martin mm, was mm. nice. And the fact Judy Dench comments about it, how it's not inconspicuous, that's quite that's quite lovely. And mm. I think, you know, she is, you know, she's great in the film. She's got a bigger role to play in yeah. this. Um and there's there's lines. A friend friend of um Mine saw Judy Dench on a film, not on a film, on a film, on a film, in real life, in a play, <laughs> not in a film. Right. We've all seen her in films. But she saw her on a plane and remarked how short she is. Yeah. Because she's a very short lady. Mm. And I don't know if it was scripted or how it worked out, but um, Havia Barnum as Silver actually mentions it in the That's film. That's right. It's a lovely line. Yeah. You know? and, and, and again, I, you know, there, there are so many nice references back to the Bond films mm-hmm. in Skyfall, which are good. But again, not labouring the point. It's like reading a Stephen King book. Yeah. He references his other books. Yeah. If you get it, great. Yeah, but it's in passing rather than... It's in passing. Yeah. It's not... If you don't get it, it doesn't spoil the film no. for you. And I think that's what they've got to do with a film like Skyfall. There was an audible sort of, oh, when the Aston Martin gets kind of revealed. Yeah. And I think that the cars are a big part of Bond, certainly in the movies anyway. Yeah, I mean, back in Doctor No, he drove that lovely Sunbeam Alpine mm, <laughs> I mean, yeah. around Jamaica. Yeah, perhaps that was the, the car they were looking for. It wasn't for. the best start, possibly, no. but, you know, it kind of, you know, certainly with Goldfinger and the, the DB5. Yeah, I mean, in the the, the book, um, they they have, it's it's an Aston Martin DB3, because mm-hmm. the book was written earlier. Yeah. And it, it isn't laden with gadgets. It's got a couple of bits, but Bond grabs it from the carpool at MI6 headquarters. 
just like that was available. I mm. did think back then in the 50s, they got a bit of a budget there, they, for an Aston Martin. <laughs> but didn't you get a choice between a Jaguar and a, an Aston Martin? They were In the film, originally, they were going to use a Jaguar and Aston Martin, and they said to Aston Martin about supplying cars. And Of course, these days, people supply dozens of cars for free. Mm-hmm. And Desmond Llewellyn, who played Q in a lot of Bond films, he said, you've only got to mention that there's a new Bond film coming out, and there's a Q yeah. you know, right out the back of Pinewood, of yeah. people queuing up. Um, there were some nice things and there was a Top Gear special on the Bond cars yes. this week that was lovely that the the guy from Lotus um, covered up all the Lotus logos mm-hmm. and parked the Lotus when he had a meeting at Pinewood so everyone got very curious about yeah. the Lotus and those are the most known cars the Aston Martin the Lotus Esprit from the Spy Love Me the Lotus for me because I was a young lad at the time when that came out that was the ultimate it was oh. a good. It was a good car, and the fact is, apart from a couple of model shots that they did where it goes behind the rocks, they actually yeah. did have an underwater car. Yeah. Okay, they had to wear wetsuits and things because it was mm-hmm. starting to fill up with water as they did it, but yeah. they did it as real as they could. Although I do still love Bond driving out of the sea and Roger Moore <laughs> dropping the fish out of the window. <laughs> yeah. I still, I know, it's what, I think that's extremely funny, yeah. and some people cringe at that, but I thought that was that was very Roger Moore and very funny. But it was a great car, and they. They, the gadgets were good in it, the liquid yeah. cement out the back. Mm-hmm. Funny enough, in um, Tomorrow Never Dies, he's driving a, oh, he's driving a BMW. Yeah, they that must have paid, really grated. They must have paid a lot of product placement for that. <laughs> but again, in that, it has the spikes that come out the back. Yeah. Back in Goldfinger, the car was having those as well, but yeah. they thought the sensors weren't too happy with it. Mm. So he had oil instead and the scar, uh, the, the, it, it skids along. The villain skids Bit of a girl's car, car really, isn't it? It's yeah. I mean, he has driven some cars like BMWs, where it is. Re- I don't know. I say product placement. There's a lot of it in Bond. Yeah. I don't think it's too in your face. I think in Casino Royale, there was only one bit where it grated, where he's on the train with Vesper Lind mm. when she first meets him, and they sum each other up and talk about he's an orphan and different bits, and she says about oh, his watch. Is it Rolex? Yeah. He says no, it's an Amiga. Yeah. That is blatant product placement. Mm-hmm. But Fleming was doing it in the books. Um, Fleming said Bond is very pedantic and fussy. Yeah. When he has his breakfast, he lives alone. He's a bachelor. When mm-hmm. he lives alone, he doesn't have marmalade. He has. Cooper's Vintage Marmalade. Mm-hmm. Um, in Moonraker, he's driving to Secret Service headquarters in London and there's a sign he sees flashing and says, Hell is here. When he drives around the corner, he realises it's an advert that says, Shell is here. <laughs> it's, you know, it was, yeah. you know, people say the Bond films have got product placement now, the books had them. There's a publicity photo from Dr. No, the very first Bond film. Connery is holding a bottle of Smirnoff vodka. Mm-hmm. It's always been there. Maybe it's a little bit more over the top now but I don't think in Skyfall it's it's that grating there's so much going on in the film you might not notice he's using a Sony and whatever the mm-hmm. names are there but I don't people have criticised the product placement but they that's money that goes towards it's kind of always the been there isn't it really yeah Bond at one point drinks some Heineken mm. I mean what's he doing <laughs> <laughs> but again yeah you need the product placement as long as it doesn't grate. it's obviously to show how far he's sunk you know from from his great days. <laughs> yeah. But the beginning of the film, you can see why he's drinking beer. He's had various issues and things yeah. going on. You know, he's good. He's totally not the bond he was, you know. <laughs> Therefore, he would drink. I've mentioned Heineken on the podcast. That's probably <laughs> product placement. I expect some money from them very soon. Other premium lagers are available. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, product placement was a difficult thing. Fleming did it, and it was just 
the way it was. He wasn't getting paid. You know, back in films like The Italian Job, British mm. Laden never supplied loads of minis free. They had to buy them. Yeah. You know, these days it is good. But with a Bond film, you need certain cars. They have Audis at the beginning for the car chase. And they have, yeah. you know, loads of Audis lined up that they have to batter around and scratch. Mm-hmm. You know, some of them, okay, aren't always working models and things. But they, they you know, they, they get a lot of input from companies. And I think that's a good thing. Yeah. It does make for a better quality film. They mm-hmm. don't have to cut the corners. I think I think you know it, it is good that there is a certain amount of product placement when it's not too much in your face. I think that is bad. <laughs> I think um, going back to Goldeneye, um, you're talking about product placement, and another thing that kind of comes in with that is merchandise. You know, obviously, they've kind of tried to sell pretty much everything off the, the back of the James Bond name uh, one of the best bits of merchandise which me and probably a lot of people of my age would remember very fondly it was the GoldenEye video game on the N64 it was amazing I think they probably only made money from the N64 and that was it the GoldenEye game and after that yeah, <laughs> pretty much you know, and Zelda possibly that was yeah the maybe Mario as well but yeah. Uh, but yeah that, that game the hours I wasted on that game yeah, um, I'm, I'm not a games brilliant. person. I can watch DVDs for hours and listen to commentary. I get bored with games, but I did get on the Wii and play for a bit. The remade Golden oh, yeah, with yeah. Daniel Craig doing the mm. voice. And again, it was it was good fun to play. Yeah. You know, and I played the N64 because someone I think had it at the time, and it was mm-hmm. quite fun and exciting yeah. to play. Well, that was a big that was a big product for Bob. Mm. Of course, back early, he just got the the Corgi toys. Well, quite often with film tie-in games, they were usually pretty lacklustre. They kind of sold themselves on the association and wouldn't really bother to put the effort into actually making a good game. But that was a really stunning game for its time. Yeah, I think now they're more caring about what they do. They don't just latch on and say, put this out. They're mm. very caring. And again, rebooting GoldenEye, bringing that back out as a game. Yeah, They could have just pretty much rehashed it. And they didn't. Yeah. They got Daniel Craig to do the voice and stuff and they did new graphics, new mm-hmm. villains and... It's like it was the old game, but totally redone, like the films are. Mm. It was nice that they made an effort to do it. Mm-hmm. Again, it's getting the Bond name across and everything. They're, you know, they're chewing gum and everything. Back in the back in the sixties, when Bond was huge, around mm. the time of Thunderball, there was James Bond bathrobes, glasses, you name it. <laughs> there, they, they You've were got board, them all. Yeah, there were board games then. No, <laughs> I, I wish I had. I had a lot of these at once in the seventies, and then over the years, you get rid of things and think, damn, that's worth money now. The Lotus Esprit of the original box. Yeah. Probably bought it from the Pram and Toy Shop. (laughs) (laughs) Wasn't it? um, Isn't there a particular colour of DB5? Is it a gold one? They did a limited gold one that's worth. I don't know what it's worth now, but they they are the old ones are worth a lot of money. Yeah. Even even recent things though, Daniel Craig's swimming trunks from Casino Royale. Yeah, so they got forty thousand or so for over forty thousand for a pair of. Of trunks, you know, I was going to put in a bid, but I don't think I'd fit into them. So <laughs> <laughs> uh, I keep trying to tell people actually that that is that was a special effect that the, the shot of him in Casino Royale is <laughs> Daniel Craig's head, and they've just superimposed my body below. Wow! Well, yeah. yeah. I mean, interview recently he was saying about this that, that obviously he's fairly well built up compared mm. to a lot of the other Bonds, mm. and he says, yeah, he spent six months getting ready. Yeah, but then they will film the scenes where he's not wearing a shirt quite early so mm-hmm. after that while they're filming he can go back to eating his pizzas yeah. and normal food because uh-huh. it's quite a, you know it's a physically demanding role yeah, I mean yeah. he's now 44 so mm-hmm. if he's doing another couple you know he's going to get older yeah okay Roger Moore was 
you know, somewhat in his late 50s when he yeah. first bombed. Although Roger Moore said himself, he said he must have been about 100 when he did a view to a kill. It was getting a bit creepy towards the end because you'd have this chap who was quite obviously in his 50s <laughs> leering at girls in their 20s, yeah. which... It was not good. Tanya Roberts, terrible actress from Charlie's Angels. <laughs> there are good actresses in Charlie's Angels. Like Cheryl Ladd, I must point that out. I used to love Charlie's Angels. But yeah, Tanya Roberts interviews were killed. Mm. Um, made Roger Moore feel very sad when she pointed out that her mum was younger than Roger Moore. Oh, my God. Uh, and that's where, yeah, you've got to be... Yeah. Yeah, you've got to say, no, you are too old, you know. And there were many times when he was going to pack in the role. Mm-hmm. But again, Roger Moore was a box office draw. Yeah. The Bonds at that time, there are people now who I know talk about the Bond films say they're too serious. They're, mm. there's, where's the comedy? Where's the gadgets? It's a different era. Yeah. You know, and you you grow up with certain things. Mm. Bond may evolve again and become much more tongue-in-cheek yeah. in the future when other actors take over the part. There's something that's been around that long. It tends to reflect the, the times that it's made, I guess. Yeah, I mean, back in the 60s, you know, Bond could, you know happily slap a woman on the bum I think in Goldfinger <laughs> he does it to Dink he slaps her bum and says oh she has to go off somewhere and he says oh men talk yeah you know uh, and the books again were, were you know fairly you know um, sexist and, and, and you know they, they simplified you know um, it's, it's odd they, they almost simplified sort of not racism but the, the way that culture was different mm. then and yet Fleming did have Bond in the second book very early 50s and then let Dyke go to Harlem yeah and it was marked, but the time, I find it fascinating reading it now. But going to Harlem and the, the way that part of this New York was and how different it was. Mm-hmm. But of course, in the fifties, when the books were in Britain, the war was over. There was still rationing. The first book, when Bond is um, a casino royale, mm-hmm. you know, for pudding he has an avocado pear. Yeah, I mean for pudding. <laughs> but back then, you couldn't pop into a supermarket and buy an avocado pear. No. And that's the harder thing now with the films that people can go to more exotic locations. So when the films came out in the sixties, mm. seeing places like Jamaica and yeah. Istanbul, we're back in Istanbul. Very exotic, yeah. It seemed quite amazing. Mm. Now it's almost like people go on school trips to places. Yeah. You know, my daughter's going on a you know a trip to Paris, and and you know there's you know to her that's you know she's twelve, so there's going to be a lot of history and art, and I'm thinking, oh, they filmed yeah, a View to a Kill here. There, yeah. yeah, I said, Emma, did you know they filmed Doctor Who's City of Death here? Uh-huh. You know, she started yawning at that point. But it is, it is, you know, you become film locations. I found this week I was in London seeing Skyfall. Yeah, I'm watching Skyfall. And then going through Embankment Station, where they feel <laughs> yeah. quite, I get quite excited about that. And that was a nice thing about Scarf. We were seeing some London locations on yeah. the 50th anniversary yeah. and making London look, you know, interesting. Yeah. And I thought that was good to see the city used as part of the film, much yeah. more than they've ever done before, mm-hmm. to actually see the MI6 building and things you've seen bits of, but see a little bit more this time of, of real real places, as opposed where people can go, as opposed to just the exotic ones like Macau and Shanghai. Well, a lot of people think, well, that's a bit out of my budget to go there. Mm-hmm. But then that's why it's in the Bond film. You know, it does still look exotic even after yeah. after 50 years. And it's trying to keep it fresh and interesting. So I'm going to put you on the spot now. It, who would be your definitive Bond? Or can you choose one? <sighs> is that impossible? It's like choosing, you know, anything like that. It's really different. My favourite Bond film is still On a Majesty's Secret Service. Mm-hmm. Um... Having said that, I've seen Skyfall twice in the last the first week it's out, mm-hmm. and I can happily see Skyfall again. It's definitely in my my 
sort of top five of Bond films. But as a Bond, yeah, very hard. No, Daniel, they've all got, they've all got, oh, pick it up. They've all got elements of Bond. Yeah. They've all got elements. Connery was miscast, made the part his own. Lazenby did my favourite Bond film, and Lazenby has still got moments, especially in the death scene with Tracy, that's excellent. Yeah. And I couldn't have imagined Connery doing that. Moore is the jokey one, but perhaps he's upper class enough to be the Bond from the books. Mm-hmm. Dom, I'd say probably closest to the Bond in the books. Brosnan's a bit more Roger Moore. Yeah. Probably Daniel Craig and Timothy Dalton, the closest to the Bond in the books that I like. Mm-hmm. Um, at the moment, I mean, it'll probably change each year. I'd probably go with what Roger Moore said recently, and mm-hmm. he always said that Sean Connery was his favourite Bond, and always has been. And when he saw Skyfall, he thinks Skyfall's one of the best films and he now thinks Daniel Craig is his favourite Bond, and mm. I can't argue with Roger Moore, so I'd probably <laughs> go for Daniel Craig. What would you say? Oh, um, it's you? a tough one. I think, um, obviously, growing up at the time that Roger Moore was Bond, that obviously had a lasting effect. Um, I think Piers Brosnan was very good. Uh, I think, am I right in saying that he was originally lined up uh, to be Bond, and then he couldn't commit because he'd signed up to do another series of Remington Steel. Did I get that? Yeah, right? it was all a bit of a con. It was very unfortunate. He was ready to take over mm. uh, for Living Daylights, which came out in '97. Yeah, auditioning, everything done and sorted. And when the Remington Steel people who he was working with found out he was up for Bond, and it was probably going to happen. They signed him up to another series of Remington Steel. Mm-hmm. After that point, Brosnan never read a Bond script and never accepted anything until it was definite because he was so disappointed. Yeah. Um, and it was, you know, Golden Knight, it was great to see him do Bond after all the disappointment, after yeah. all those years. And his, his wife, Cassandra Harris, who sadly died of cancer, mm. um, she had a part in Fear Eyes Only. Yeah. And I remember friends of mine, they went to a James Con- Bond convention in London. Mm. And, you know, they went to see various stars, mm-hmm. happy and excited to see Cassandra Harris, who was there with Pierce Brosnan, who yeah. at the time wasn't really anybody. I think he absolutely really. nails it in Goldeneye. I, I do feel, perhaps it wasn't his fault, but I think they kind of went a bit downhill after that. Yeah, I mean, I think Gold, Goldeneye, strange enough, almost wasn't him. It, it was Timothy Dalton, mm. although it hadn't become Goldeneye at that stage. Cause I think he's quite underrated, to be fair, Timothy Dalton. Yeah, I just think that Living Daylights was a very... It was a good Bond film. I really enjoyed it, but it was quite neutral because they hadn't developed the actor in the mm. part. Mm. Lights to Kill was much more back to the books. Yeah. Uh, and then there was a gap. There were various problems at MGM and disagreements. And then when... Some things don't change. They asked him to get, come back. <laughs> um, yeah, he was going to come back. And he, was gonna, and he said, no, it's too far a gap between the films mm-hmm. and it was good that Brosnan took over I mean there's yeah. been plenty of other people for the part who were probably disappointed John Gavin who's an American actor mm. and I still think Bond should be British I know Laser yeah. Me my favourite film he's yeah. Australian but um, you've got actor like John Gavin he was most people probably know he's um, Janet Lee's boyfriend in the opening of Psycho right he was signed to play Bond for Diamonds Are Forever mm. And one of the last minute things they managed to turn Connery around mm. to get Connery to do the part. And at the time, I think he was in the Guinness Bowl, uh, Book of Records for the most paid for an actor to do a film. Yeah. And he donated it all to charity mm-hmm. to set up this Scottish Educational Trust. But John Gavin was signed. Other people, Sam Neill, who was in Riley Ace of Spies, and yeah. Sam Neill's gone on to do many other things. Mm. He was auditioned. He did a very good audition. It's on one of the DVD extras. Mm. He did the scene they used to do from, from Russia with Love. And 
he was ready and I thought Sam Neill would have made a very good Bond they all liked him Cubby Broccoli the producer went no Hmm. and that was it and Cubby Broccoli's decision was final so Sam Neill never became Bond and in the end it became Timothy Dalton Hmm. so each year you get rumours of they were saying who's going to be the new Bond and they were saying that when Daniel Craig took over in Casino Royale and it's like hang on you've just cast the guy can (laughs) we not talk about who's taking over yeah give him five minutes in the role and there are there are always there are rumours everywhere who'd make a good bond at mm. one point, and there was an interesting thought here. Mm. Um, Colin Salmon, yeah, who work plays you know one of the MI6 agents, yeah. um, very office bound, but mm. he he is seen in the Pierce you know three of the Pierce Brosnan right. Bond films, up to including Die Another Day, and the, I I Colin Salmon, yeah, mm. he would you know he could make a good bond, mm-hmm. but then they're sort of saying you know they're sort of saying well you know yeah Colin Salmon. Being a black actor, is this going to work as Bond on certain situations where you'd have him in? But I don't They'd see the why same they... thing about Daniel Craig. One of the criticisms which I found quite ridiculous was, oh, you can't have someone who's blonde as James Bond. Yeah, I, I did think that was um, <laughs> a very odd criticism. Yeah. I think Bond should be wide open to casting. Yeah. I think he should be British. He's a British agent. There mm-hmm. aren't many things that come out of Britain that still... The Americans control the movie industry. Yeah. Um, and well, I think that's the appeal, though, isn't it? For even for a lot of you know, especially the American audience, they love British culture, and it, it's something they want to see. You know, I'm yeah. not sure they would want to see necessarily. No, American I one. think you know, British people in the last few years have been played as villains in film, mm. um, and the, the Americans love that. So I think yeah, certainly they put a lot of money into the film industry, billions of pounds. But yeah. I think it is good to keep Bond as much British as they can. Mm. I mean, they've rumoured lots of actors recently who would take over. Craig signed up for another two. One of the actors they mentioned is Sam Worthington. Mm. Now, I haven't seen all his films. I've seen Sam Worthington in Avatar, and I've yeah. seen Sam Worthington in Terminator Salvation. Um, I, I don't think he can act. No. I think he's terrible. Mm. And I really wouldn't want him as Bond. Mm. I, my ideal thing is cast someone unknown. Yeah. And it did struck me as odd, as much as Daniel Craig, and Daniel Craig was often quoted as saying it was off his radar, he didn't expect to be even asked to mm. do Bond, and was reluctant. Um, he was a very good choice, but too old. I think an actor in his 30s. Yeah. Actors do say, well, Bond's a well-known agent. It's like, forget that. Mm. Bond is just Bond. He's yeah. a secret agent, he's undercover. Cast him as someone in their 30s, and if they're good, they can perhaps be mm. in the films a lot longer. Yeah. We know Craig's certainly got another two in him. Mm-hmm. But how much more can he do after those two? And and would it you know Dean would he want to? Mm. So I'm 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 glad he is doing the next two. The way they've set up the end of Skyfall, I'm mm. I'm I'm quite pleased he is. Yeah, it's it's a very positive looking future. Yeah, it's nice after fifty years they can still they can still do it. Especially as um there may not have been a Bond film initially because Fleming after five books at the end of From Russia with Love, um, it's open-ended, but a Rosa Kleber tax bond in the book with knitting needles, hmm. not with the um, the shoe with the poison spikes sticking out of it, but she poisons Bond and he topples to the floor because after five books, Fleming felt like Conan Doyle did. Yeah, he'd had enough. I can't write anything else. Hmm. And oddly enough, the first Bond film, Doctor No, might not happen because Fleming was writing ideas for a TV series Various working titles, Commander Jamaica, mm. Commander Gun of the Secret Service. It was about an American secret agent set in Jamaica yeah. fighting a villain called Dr. No. Mm. It never happened. But like all good writers, Fleming kept the notes, kept the ideas, turned into the novel Dr. No. Yeah. And 
it was great. There were another nine James Bond novels and short stories after that. Some of them, like Under Majesty's Secret Service, were excellent. Mm. So it is good it kept going, but there were so many bits where Bond might not have happened. I mean, Dr. No, Joseph Wiseman, marvellous as Dr. No, much like Heavier Bardem. Mm. Skyfall and Silver, a really good actor. Yeah. He's not in Dr. No very much, but mm-hmm. marvellous, especially as initially they asked um, Ian Fleming, crazy idea, <laughs> I still don't know why, asked one of his neighbours, Noel Coward. Mm. Now you can imagine Noel Coward as Mr. Bridger in the Italian yeah. job. Marvellous, yeah. but as a villain, Dr. Mm. No, it, it, you know, it just wouldn't, it wouldn't quite work. It would have been fact, a different film, put it that way. He sent a famous reply to Ian Fleming saying, Ian, your answer to me playing Dr. No is no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, they do come up with zany ideas of mm. casting and things and thankfully look back and you're relieved that they that they didn't do that. Yeah. You know, Cary Grant was going to be Bond. David Niven was favoured by Ian Fleming. Yeah. But in the turnaround, you think, well, I'm so glad they got Connery, mm. who at the time it looked wrong. And a lot of people thought Daniel Craig looked wrong. Yeah. So two of the best Bonds yeah. turned to be pretty much out of left field and not predictable actors to play the role. And it mm. does hinge so much on... I know they say the producers, you know, they they happily will get rid of anyone playing Bond and replace them. It's it's a risk to do that, especially a risk with Daniel Craig. But you know the producers will go, no, it's not working. Die another day made a huge amount of money. Mm. They wanted to change direction. They wanted to recast. They did it. Yeah. Goodbye, Pierce Brosnan. And it worked. And I, yeah, it worked. I don't think it was handled well, the mm-hmm. way he was no. dismissed as Bond. No. And maybe that's why the internet rumours are now saying Neil Purvis and Robert Wade aren't writing the next mm. Bond. Have they done the same thing with him? <laughs> Who knows? Mm. But yeah, the, the Bond, is the character is stronger than the actor playing him in many ways and it wouldn't have lasted for 50 years if it if it wasn't that way so you've admitted that you're a, an obsessed james bond nerd yeah yeah and you did you say you've listened to all the commentaries on the dvds i've listened to all the commentaries. not they've really i bought the dvds when they first came out so okay. i've not heard all the roger moore ones no. but i've heard okay. certainly every dvd i've heard every commentary and are there any that really stand out even if the film perhaps wasn't one of your favorites uh, commentaries sometimes yeah i mean some of the films i mean take diamonds are forever which i think is one of the worst bond films ever mm. the commentary on that is interesting and the extras yeah um there's a lovely bit with mr kid and mr wint uh, the two gay killers in it Mm-hmm. where there's an early scene they drop a scorpion down the back of this guy's uh, neck they drop it down his back of his shirt mm-hmm. they've got the outtake on there where they ram it down his throat <laughs> um, that's horrible and obviously this, they cut it because it was too nasty and too, mm. too um, unpleasant on. to put yeah. in a fairly light comedy film mm. but things were changed the sense is they had Honey Rider and Dr. No pegged out for the crabs to attack her they filmed it the crabs were too docile they just wanted the water coming up. Yeah. You know, they, they did change a lot of films. But yeah, all the commentaries, I think mm. I like what I like about the commentaries, especially on the early ones, they splice together current commentaries yeah. with people who, because the age of the Bond films, are mm. now dead. So They've got old interviews. interviews they yeah. snip them together That's and say, good. this is Terence Young talking in 19 such and yeah. such about the film. And the commentaries are good because they, you know, they, I love it when I hear something I don't know about Bond. And it's that can't happen very often, I would imagine. <laughs> Not often, no. No, I do come out with the problems. I think there are too many... I know too many things now. And you'll come out with something, or someone will mention The Man with the Golden Gun, the first film I saw. Yeah. Christopher Lee, great mm. actor, mm. great Scaramanga. Yeah. And I'll sort of say, yeah, Christopher Lee, do you know he's Ian Fleming's cousin? Wow. And then people will go, Bill, stop going on. About that. 
but you know, and again, Man with the Golden Gun, not the first one I saw, not one of the better ones. Mm. Guy Hamilton, good director of Goldfinger, but he wanted to do Diamonds Are Forever, Live and Let Die, Man with yeah. the Golden Gun. And he kept saying to Roger Moore and Christopher Lee, you know, play it light, we're having mm-hmm. fun. That isn't said anymore. No. I hope they will go back a little bit more to the humour, but I think the balance with seriousness and humour in Skyfall just about right it's just about nice mm. it just works enough to make it mm-hmm. interesting you know my concern with Skyfall not for me but with some people who perhaps might like the lighter more action based flip and bomb the action sequences are great yeah but there are big gaps of dialogue and story between them mm. I love that some people just may think it's a bit slow in places I mean yeah. two hours 25 minutes flew by for me. I think it did I don't think they wasted a moment in that in that running time no there are some of the bombs that are shorter that you think they could have chopped that down a bit yeah older ones and recent ones like Quantum of Solace mm. which again is one of the shorter bomb films but it just you just think oh get on with it it yeah. wasn't their fault they just had a lot of things going yeah. wrong at the time we, sc- sorry I was going to say we mentioned commentaries just now and I'd be remiss if I didn't mention this. Uh, there's a podcast out there. It's called Doctor Who, colon, uh, Prognosis Negative. And uh, it's a great bunch of guys headed up by uh, Eric Escamilla, who's also known for doing the Mostly Harmless Cutaway podcast. It's uh, like a sort of superstars of podcasting. You've got him. There's a guy called Josh Zyman. There is Kyle Anderson, who's part of the Nerdist and you've also got Stephen Schapansky, who's from Radio Free Scarrow. So you've got a whole bunch of Doctor Who nerds, and um, they have a sort of semi-regular series on prognosis negative called Shaken Not Stirred. So they'll sit down and randomly pick a James Bond film and then do a commentary on it. And one of the, the kind of nice things about it is that Stephen hasn't, as far as I'm aware, seen any Bond films prior to doing this little experiment. So he's seen these films for the first time, and he, he comes out with some quite interesting points um, obviously as a newbie and it's just a really entertaining show so if you haven't checked it out get onto the internet go onto iTunes and download it and I think you'll have a bit of fun listening to it even I may listen to that steady on that sounds good <laughs> if I could just mention well something uh, mm. a website and a magazine called Cinema Retro oh yeah um, they do a magazine they only do a few a year it's an American publication mm-hmm. but available in Britain you can get Cinema Retro on eBay mm. Or there's a shop called the Cinema Store, and the Cinema Store in Upper St Martin's Lane in London, they have their own website as well. Mm. And Cinema Retro, predominantly, it is films from the 60s and 70s. The magazines are excellent. The Cinema Retro website is very good as well. Mm. And I'm currently reading, obviously being a Bond fan, a 148-page special they put together on Doctor No. Brilliant write-ups, pictures. But their previous magazine because Mm. they don't do specials all the time. The previous magazine had lots of features on things. It was a 40th anniversary issue, so it had been 40 years since the Poseidon Adventure came out Uh and 40 years since Deliverance and Alfred Hitchcock's Frenzy. Oh, wow. So if you're interested in films, Cinema Mm. Retro, the website is very good. It Mm -hmm. will do new things on new films, like Skyfall, The Hobbit, and things like that. Yeah. But it does look back really well, and the magazine, you know, Cinema Retro, is highly recommended as a read or just going on their website. It's full of information, mm-hmm. and, it, you know, it's, it's very, very entertaining to look back at some of the films that you now think, oh, I remember that, oh, that's a classic. And then, it, you know, there's stuff on there that, that you never knew about the films. I think these days, thanks to the internet, and you've, got, you've had the rise of the blog and all these sorts of things, there's a, a whole wealth of stuff that you can go out and enjoy just by going to Google and typing in, you know, your favourite movie series or, you know, you can just 
get a perhaps a slightly different viewpoint from the sort of the established press so the likes of your your empire which i love you know i do read it regularly but it's just nice to see a different take on a particular film yeah it's nice to see someone looking at it from a different side i think that's why i like the cinema retro side they have a lot of different experts on different fields Mm. and they'll often get exclusive interviews with people perhaps talking about even if it's a film they haven't done for years yeah uh but like yourself if you go to a doctor who convention they might Mm -hmm. talk to somebody recorded something 30 40 years ago yeah they'll still bring back memories of it. And that is, that is interesting. Yeah, Empire, I found, I, I read Empire every month. And I'm finding at the moment, this month was a huge feature on The Hobbit. Mm-hmm. And last month was a huge feature on Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah. Now, you know, yeah, vaguely interested in both those areas, but I just feel they should stick to the Empire format of being very varied. Yeah. And then do a special on The Hobbit. Yeah. A special on Skyfall, like there was a Bond yeah. one recently, but do a special separate so mm. people who enjoy Empire yeah. will enjoy all the reviews and write-ups, but they're not going, well, you know, 80% of that issue was wasted yeah. because I'm not interested in that You can potentially lose readers if they're not really interested in that particular film they're focusing on. Yeah, I think they need to look at it more. And especially, like you say, with podcasts and certainly online information is mm. now absolutely massive. Yeah. And that is good. I like finding things about things I think I know a lot about. <laughs> and you find loads of new information. Yeah. Whether it's true or not, I, I don't know. <laughs> like to read a bit of fiction, go to Wikipedia. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, quite. <laughs> so going back to Bond... And another thing that's a, you know, a cornerstone of a Bond movie is the theme tune. Uh, Any particular favourites or uh, really on my CC bad service, stinkers? The, or? the instrumental is excellent. Mm. I, I love that. Yeah. Um, I still love after all these years um, the James Bond theme. Yeah, which I think is great. There have been various court cases over the years about it. Originally, Monty Norman wrote it. Yeah, but Monty Norman was not really a good composer. It was a something he'd written for a musical. It actually had words and lyrics to it, and mm-hmm. it was a song, and it was quite slow. But John Barry and the John Barry Seven Orchestra totally rearranged it mm-hmm. and did that great version with Vic Flick playing the guitar, and it's marvellous. And when John Barry, years later, uh, not years later, sorry, maybe in the first year of Doctor No coming out, it mm-hmm. wasn't a big premiere for him, John Barry went because he just rearranged it, paid his money to see it, and contacted the producers afterwards. He said, hang on a minute, my Bond theme did for the only task. It's all over the film. Yeah. So they said, well, look, okay, we liked it. Look, tell you what, we might let you score the next one. And then he did the score from Russia with Love and did mm-hmm. endless Bond films yeah. um, right through 60s, 70s and 80s. Uh, and he is probably my favourite composer, not just because of Bond, but if you take the Ipcrest file, the music to that, Out of Africa, Dances with Wolves, The Black Hole. Now, there's yes. a classic one from your podcast. Yes. What a great friend of Black Hole is. But yeah, <laughs> the, the music, it, it, he's a terrific composer. Yeah. Theme-wise is difficult because there are so many people doing the songs. There are cringy ones like Lulu belting out Man with a Golden Gun. Mm. Um, there, there, you know, you've got Duran Duran, A View to a Kill, catchy, very 80s, a bit yeah, dated now. Very much quite, of its time. But much of its time. I still think Shirley Bassey, mm. uh, maybe not Moonbreaker so much, but certainly Goldfinger and Diamonds Are Forever. Yeah. Real and, belters. Yeah, I like, again, they say that Skyfall, Adele's theme, is similar to Shirley Bassey. Maybe the opening is, but mm. certainly the backing vocals that come into the song later are nice. They fit the film. Yeah. As does Thomas Newman's soundtrack. Mm. It fits the film very, very well. And I, I was hoping David Arnold would be back. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think Sam Mendes likes his own yeah. you know, uh, composer on the film, which is, which is fair enough. But do you like any Bond theme you love or hate? Like? Live and Let Die, I really love. 
Yes. Um, Voted the best one recently. It I can't was, remember yeah. where, but it was. Uh, but, it was yeah. um, Mark Kermode on Radio 5 Live in the UK. They had a, a Bond special, and they had um, the BBC, I think it was the BBC Philharmonic, doing the whole sort of uh, gamut of Bond films over the years, and that was voted the number one choice by listeners to 5 Live. That was the one where, despite all the votes, I think I remember, they played on the Manchester Secret Service just because Mark Kermode <laughs> liked it. <laughs> and I, I, I'm with him on that one. Yeah, fair play to him. Although it did have, um, what I do also love to do was we have all the time in the world. Yeah. Which fitted into the film, but obviously mm. not the end. With Louis Armstrong, yeah. and he was very old and quite ill at that stage. Mm. Couldn't, he used to play the trumpet, obviously very famous for that. Couldn't play anymore. Yeah. And recorded that, went up to John Barry afterwards and said, thanks for giving me this job. Mm. And he died shortly afterwards. And it's, it's a really emotional theme that, yeah. he, that he sung very, very well, but obviously wouldn't fit over the the top of a film mm. you know there are there are you know themes that fit over the top and John Barry used to always want to co-write the theme because John Barry felt it would fit into the film yeah and it that makes was sense. the idea they write it together mm. um, Skyfall there's a little snippet of Skyfall in the film a little instrumental bit but most of the time they don't use that theme no Thomas Newman has a particular theme I think he uses in Istanbul that he uses throughout the film which mm. is good mm. but it's nice to sometimes have bits of the theme I mean View to a Kill which was very like we said, 80s. Yeah. John Barry just slows it down beautifully and orchestrates it with violins and puts it into the film. And it's like a completely different piece yeah. of music. Yeah. And yeah, great. And David Arnold, I think David Arnold did a great job. Mm. Apart from Die Another Day, which was just the Bond theme rehashed as a yeah. music. I didn't. It's the only Bond CD I don't have. People say, you've got to have it, you've got them all. I said, mm. that's terrible. I've never bought Die Another <laughs> Day. But the rest of the music John Barry did was certainly, yeah. you know, very, very good. And he said, Bond is not subtle. Mm. That was John Barry's comment. Mm. It's very much brassy, brassy, in your face, Bold. over the top, mm. and that's the way Bond has to be. Maybe he's become a little bit more subtle. Yeah, in the Daniel Craig era. I mean, Adele's got a really strong voice, but yeah, I can't quite see the comparison between her and Shirley Bassey. I think it's no. I think she's got a distinctive styles. voice. You can hear a song and say oh, that's yeah. Adele. Mm. I mean, around Conor Masolis, ideally Amy Winehouse would have done it. Yeah, on Conor Masolis, but she was. She was not in a good state when she no, tried to record a song, and it didn't work. And and I think Adele is the next best thing. Mm. Perhaps you know someone who doesn't sound like everybody else in the charts. Maybe that's just because I'm getting old. Now you'll probably be able to argue this, but my other half, Amy, has got this idea that if the Bond theme is pretty pants, then the film tends to follow suit. Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> the, the the key one is Die Another Day, but that's probably a bit of an easy target. Yeah, yeah. Um, Do you yeah, think that um, holds water? Another Way to Die from Quantum of Solace. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I did like the tune from Moonraker, though, and I love the theme from Diamonds Are Forever, and mm. those are two of my least favourite Bond films. In fact, John Barry, though, I think Don Black was writing the lyrics mm. of Diamonds Are Forever, mm-hmm. uh, and um, at the time, they, you know, they often say, well, you know, someone's singing the song again, what's it about? And th- at the time... You know, Don Black and John Brown were talking. He goes, well, just replace the word diamond with penis. And it works out absolutely fine. <laughs> so again, not very subtle lyrics for the Bond people. <laughs> but that was I'm how never going to be able to listen to that song the same <laughs> way again now. <laughs> <laughs> Daniel Craig's in the titles, but the way he walks... Yeah. towards the camera through mm. the titles mm. it's like I'm Bond yeah. what are you going to do it. about yeah. it and that was marvellous mm. in fact watching I know they've done different titles over the years um, and some Morris Binder who did 
pretty much he did Doctor No, then he missed out a couple from Rush Love Goldfinger, but then he carried on pretty much doing the Bonds right through 60s, 70s and 80s. Mm-hmm. And I remember Roger Moore sort of saying it, it was, you know, marvellous titles from Morris Bin. They usually with semi-naked girls and silhouettes and everything. Mm-hmm. But it was literally the last minute Morris Binder would deliver what he was going to put yeah. out. And it was like, Morris, have you finished them? We're not quite yet. Yeah. And you wouldn't, his only titles, it almost looks sometimes, he spent ages doing them, but he would sometimes rush them. It's I think a real it was art form in itself, wasn't it? You know, it just The titles work so well. I think watching the only titles of Skyfall, mm. especially where they've got bits of the film in it. Well, it ties in with the whole kind of opening sequence, and it's. Yeah. Bond falling into the opening sequence, very mm. much like when Bond falls into it, the world is not enough. Yeah. Falls onto the Millennium Dome, mm. rolls down it, and then it's got Brosnan's Bond walking away, and that's mm. the opening titles. And I think yeah. that's nice in Skyfall. But they're mm. almost a little bit retro Skyfall. They do mind me of the Morris Binder titles. Mm. They've got a bit of the villain, a bit of Bond. Um, you've got girls and things. They are... Yeah. They are atmospheric, and I enjoy watching titles. Problem is, I'm because I'm a bit anal about Bond. <laughs> I'm trying to read, you know, you know who who opened the car door, you know, things like silly thing. I'm trying to read all the little tiny bits about the credits, yeah. Yeah. and then the next time you see it, right, I'm going to watch the ending titles this mm. time. Mm. Um, and the, but the titles were good. In fact, it's a lovely oh, an old story. I think yeah, it was Roger Moore around the time of Man with the Golden Gun. Mm. And Morris Binder was working on the opening titles and Roger Moore was going past the studio. And obviously you have naked women in there, which they have to very carefully cover up in the opening titles Mm. because you can't make it blatant. But Morris Mm. Binder at one point has a brush, a jar of Vaseline, and he's brushing down a girl's pubic hair. And Roger Moore goes past and says, you get paid to do this? (laughs) (laughs) I think certainly as a, a young lad, obviously James Bond's a huge part of growing up in the UK. And it does kind of open your eyes somewhat to um, the fairer sex, seeing the sort of opening titles, these things. So, yeah, I think it's... Um... Yeah, the books are the same, because there were very subtle and small sex scenes in the books. Mm. But obviously written in the 50s, a bit radical. Mm. Uh, but they were the old thing I found was that the sex scenes in the books were quite small. Mm. But the fact is, in the first books, you look like 1953, it's yeah. Casino Royale. And Bond is, well, similar to the film Casino Royale. He, he's... Stripped naked, um, pushed into a chair that has no seat on it, and he has his mm. balls beaten with a carpet beater in the book. Yeah. That's pretty heavy going for the 1950s. Mm. Very extreme, which Casino Royale captured in the film yeah. in a slightly different way. But I had to cross was, my legs at that point. It was pretty <laughs> nasty, yeah. That was yeah. where you've got the glamorous girls, and then you know their comedy about Bond losing his manhood, so mm. maybe there wouldn't be a follow-up to Casino Royale. <laughs> <laughs> but no, the... Um... The, the title sequences were always an, an iconic part of Bond. You know, we've already talked about the, the cars, we've talked about the music, and obviously Bond girls. We're not allowed to call them Bond girls now, are we? They're Bond, no, they're women. Bond women. It's funny, over all the years they've said, you know, oh, this time, oh no, my Bond girl's completely different. Mm. And she's not just a bimbo who hangs on someone's arms. Mm. And I think, I know there have been, but there is this misconception of Bond girls being just decorative and to look at. I mean, Anna Blackman as Pussy Glow and Goldfinger. Mm. So when you talk in the third Bond film in 1964, yeah. she was a very strong character. Yeah. She was very tough. Mm-hmm. Tanya Roberts as Stacey Sutton in A View to a Kill. She basically just screams James every five minutes and is <laughs> awful. 
And I think the girls in Skyfall yeah. um, are very, very good. Mm. I'm trying to remember, I can't remember her Bernice, might be Bernice Malhone or something, I can't remember her surname, mm. but she's an actress, she plays Severine. Yeah. Who's the main villain's girlfriend. And there's a lovely scene where Bond talks to her in the casino. Yeah. And she's got to put across a lot in a few minutes in this one dialogue scene. Mm-hmm. And just a little bit, it's like a hand shaking. She is obviously terrified yeah. of the guy she's talking about. Mm-hmm. And it's a lovely scene. And I wish she was in much more of the film. And, and Eve as well, played by Naomi Harris. Naomi Harris, yeah. Shooting, driving mm-hmm. the Jeep. Yeah. Um, and I think it's really well played out because in the opening sequence, she's obviously very new to being out in the field. And as you would probably expect, as I would if I was in her position, you panic and you're kind of, you're thinking, yeah. oh, he's just jumped onto a train, what do I do now? Yeah. She's with a double O, and, and you know, she's you know pretty much learning about being out in the field. Mm. But I like, again, a strong character from her, you know, they're, they're driving um, the Jeep and, you know, there's a uh, there's a sarcastic comment from Bond about the car mirror. Mm-hmm. She does something else and makes a sarcastic comment back to him. Yeah. And I thought that was that was nice, and she was yeah again a good a good character. Nice to see her, you know, throughout the film and other bits as well. Mm-hmm. That she was quite a strong woman. I mean, one of the I can't remember ever read recently. I've read so much about Bond recently. <laughs> one of the write-ups basically saying the you know the Bond girl in the new film is Judy Dench's M. Yeah, no, you can, you can kind of see that. Yeah, she is very, very good, you know. I think there's still been other girls. I think Roald Dahl, very famous for children's books, mm. he had a formula for You Only Live Twice when he did the screenplay because mm. they abandoned the book. The book was quite dark and depressing. Yeah. And it was like, well, I, I you know, have a girl who's with Bond in this scene and a girl who was with Bond that she'll die and this one mm-hmm. will carry on to the end of the film. It's almost like a little formula for the girls and how yeah. many girls he has and how long they're in the film and, mm. and, and, and what they do. But I think even the older films did have stronger. They drifted maybe in the 70s. and mm. There were girls that were a bit more screechy or disastrous, like Mary Goodnight, played by Britt Eklund, who was yeah. just a bit of a, a bimbo and incompetent, and it, they just didn't write it at all. When you well. get into the 90s, you got the likes of... Uh... It Doctor Christmas Jones. Yes, yes. They, they so try to sort of shoehorn enough. in that she's a, um, you know, I can't even remember what she is now. She's a physicist. Or she's something, she's or? a physicist. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They try and you know they get the silly names back. Yeah. I do like the reference in Casino Royale when Bond and Vespalinda are in the car and they've got their he's reading their identities. Yeah. And Daniel Craig reads out that her ID name is Stephanie Broadchest. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, which. But the latest level of writing, you'd say in the 70s, you've got characters named like in Moonraker, Holly Goodhead. Yeah. Uh, but bearing in mind that's written by Christopher Wood. Mm. And back in the 70s, people may have vague memories of these, but there were a series of sort of sex comedy films called Confessions. Mm. Confessions of a Taxi Driver, mm-hmm. written by a guy called Timothy Lee. Timothy Lee's real name is Christopher Wood, who right. wrote the screenplay for uh, Spy Love Me and Moonraker. Mm-hmm. So there is a certain amount of silliness yeah and recently they didn't use it but Purvis and Wayne in the last couple of films were going to bring the name Garla Brand she's the girl in Moonraker okay and I think Garla Brand that's quite an interesting Mm. name Mm. so hopefully it will come back in future films but they've still got names they can tap into Mm. that are unusual Mm. you know Uh, but yeah it's it's the bordering on silliness (laughs) you know you know but there are nice I think Girl's name is Diamonds Are Forever when Bond meets Plenty at the casino. 
She says, I'm plenty. And Connery says, of course you are. <laughs> and then she says, plenty O'Toole. And he says, oh, named after your father, perhaps. <laughs> so as much as I don't like Diamonds Are Forever, it has got some it's funny got dialogue in it. And they do, you know, they do, they do joke about themselves a fair bit. The, the problem with spoofing Bond, mm. they've tried to spoof Bond over the years. And sometimes it's hard to spoof something that is quite tongue-in-cheek. Yeah that doesn't take itself to, maybe it takes itself more seriously now, but it's hard to spoof something with another spoof like Austin Powers or something. Mm-hmm. Although Mike Myers did a pretty good job on the first one of doing that because Bond is, it, it, it is tongue-in-cheek anyway. It's yeah. not meant to be gritty and realistic. So they can joke about the girls' names or the villains' names or or whatever they'd like to joke about in it. Whereas these days, maybe it's a bit easier to spoof them now that the Bonds are more serious. Yeah. Perhaps edging towards the style of the books. I think Javier Bardem does a great job as the uh, the main bad guy in this. Um, quite reminiscent of the sort of the earlier Bond movies. So you, I'd, you'd have like people like Blofeld or you know, someone who's quite a charismatic. Yeah, I mean, I think he he is. You know, he might be over the top, but he's believable. Mm. Like maybe Doctor No in the first film, or Red Grant, the Russian assassin in From Russia with Love, mm. that they're not superhuman and, and and full of crazy gadgets, and mm. and and they're not, you know, doing you know too many insane. I mean, you know, in the film it's much more personal vendetta than mm. a, I'm taking over the world scenario. And he is a you know he is a good actor. I've seen him um, in other films, and and he is he is a good actor. Mm. Well, something about his hair, though. He's dyed his hair very blonde yeah. and silver. And you look at him things like um, Country for Old Men, yeah. where his hair is quite bizarre mm. <laughs> in in that. Or in, mm. um, is it The Sea Inside? Very good film where he plays a paraplegic. Yeah. And he's playing an older guy, so his hair's receding. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's almost like Javier Bottom's trademark. My hair's going to look <laughs> really different in this one. <laughs> so nobody recognises me in the street. I think yeah. like Daniel Craig, he's not... He enjoys the acting and that side, perhaps not the publicity Didn't side. Didn't go quite as far as Patrick Troughton when he took on the role of uh, Doctor Who. His his pitch to the makers was that he could black up and wear a sort of an Arabian Nights costume so that no one would recognise him in the street once he'd finished <laughs> oh, filming. That's as <laughs> subtle as Colin Baker's outfit, isn't it? Oh, yeah, that's how, oh, it could have worked. Yeah, there is, a, I say, the change in the way people look. They don't like to be recognised. Sometimes mm. they have to, you know, subtle things like Connery's toupee. Mm. Yeah, Connery's worn a toupee in every single Bond film. What? People think it's the later ones. He's worn it all the no. time. They were maybe smaller at the beginning mm. and perhaps not as close-fitting in films like You Only Live Twice. Mm. Um, I remember when he came back from Never Say Never Again and they were, you know, when he was thinking about doing Bond yeah. and he was sort of saying, am I too old, too bald, too fat, too Scottish? <laughs> like, can he do the part again? Yeah. And they decided that with a, you know, sort of a smaller... Mm-hmm. A smaller toupee mm. and covering up his tattoos because yeah. he had tattoos on his arm, and that's a little bit working class for Bond. Mm, <laughs> so yeah, they, they've you know they they it's disguising things. A lot of the Bond girls in the early films, their voices were all dubbed. Yeah, villains Adolfo Celli who plays Largo and Thunderball, his voice was dubbed. Mm. At least now, the actors are themselves and yeah. probably scream in horror if they went to the film premiere and saw that hold it that's not my voice anymore what have you what have you done to me maybe they'll get Dave Prowse in to do the next Bond film <laughs> be a local Bond film <laughs> I'm my lover I'm going to strap the chair I should touch you in a minute <laughs> I'm going to whack you in the balls 
Yeah. Mind you, David Price was. He was in Clockwork Orange too. He, he was. Yeah, he's, he done, was. he's done some good films as David Price. Yes. Yeah. He could be a boy. He could have been a boy. <laughs> at all bad. Maybe they were a prize Jaws. No, I hope no. <laughs> yeah. I mean, again, a great idea with Jaws. Yeah. Um, but ruined by the fact that they made it light and Bond hits him in the mouth. Mm. And, oh, it's just... Mainly because Fleming with The Spy Love Me didn't want, and he left it in his will, I think, that he didn't want any of The Spy Love Me book used. Mm. It's basically narrated by a woman called Vivian Michelle, mm-hmm. written in the first person, and marvellously written from a woman's point of view, but Bond's only in it towards the end of the book. Really? Saves her from these baddies, and one of the baddies, admittedly, has got some sort of steel teeth in him. He's not Jaws, he's not a super villain, but they mm. sort of took that. But I think some villains, yeah, you've got a potentially good villain. Yeah. And uh, Stromberg in The Spy Love Me was good. Hugo Drax was good in Moonraker, mm-hmm. although the film was weak, Moonraker. But you've got two good villains, and their henchmen just let them down. Mm-hmm. Not in the same league as, as Odd Job. No. You know, and you've got, you know, there's that henchman sort of side where they try and make him out to be tough and ruthless but it becomes a bit a bit dull yeah I prefer the human side of of Bond where mm. he fights someone like Red Grant from Russia with Love it's a hand to hand fight and that's how you defeat the villain mm-hmm. they haven't got superpowers or whatever it's trying to ground it again in reality in a way they are fantasy mm. Fleming always made the books ground in reality he would spend many pages describing a meal <laughs> what Bond was eating, yeah. what was going on, and then Bond would defy death in great circumstances. Mm. You know, they didn't have the budget or the technology, but in Doctor No, he fights a giant squid. Yeah, and in the book it works. In the film, it would have probably looked ridiculous. But Fleming builds up the believability. So when something a little bit crazy happens, and they weren't as crazy in the books as the films, but you believe it. So it sort of echoes a little bit with Doctor Who, where they could try and bring the sort of fantastical into the everyday. Yeah, just to try and make a little bit of reality and and grounding <laughs> as much as they can. Yeah. <laughs> so you try and believe that something is... You've got to get with the bond. You've got to believe he's in danger. Mm. You know he's going to win. He's going to survive yeah. every single time. But if there's no threat... Yeah, you know, no at least tension. In this, he's hurt and he's wounded mm. at some point. And at least, well, whoa, he's wounded. He's injured. Yeah. He is human. He doesn't just walk away and, you know like in certain eras of, of the films where the main actor playing Bond, their hair is absolutely perfect. Mm. And there's not hair out of place. And they say things back in the 70s that James Bond doesn't sweat. <laughs> it's like, where do they get these yeah. ideas when they're making the film? They're constantly dabbing down the main actor. Don't mm. sweat. You know, Daniel Craig is certainly in Skyfall sometimes, looks pretty old and knackered. Yeah. But it makes it more believable. Yeah, I think that's what you want, a more human Bond, especially mm. now he's surrounded by a more believable villain, more believable characters, even Q, you know, and, and things. It is, is belie- it's much more believable. It's mm. the technology that Bond doesn't understand. Yeah. That Q understands, like hacking into computers. Yeah. It's a believable scenario. Mm. So it does, it does work. Yeah, there are bits where Q might be doing something and... Bond points something out to Q that he's missed. <laughs> and you're like, oh, come on, Q would have got that. you know. But you've got to let, let, let that ride. You've yeah. got to have Bond have some glory mm-hmm. to say that, you know, as opposed to just punching someone, he does have some sort of intelligence yeah. and, and, and thought and, and survivability and stuff. But I must admit, yeah, I hope that... I hope the franchise will carry on the way it's going at the moment. Mm. Now, I know you've been itching to talk about the end of Skyfall. <laughs> so we'll say it right now. 
If you haven't seen it yet, stop the podcast now and then watch the film and then come back and listen because this is going to be major, major spoilers. So you have been warned. Go on right. then, Bill. Where do we start? What do we, well, we're going to spoil everything now. So if you've seen Skyfall, you'll probably disagree with these comments anyway. But mm-hmm. just say, yeah, the film, the rounding of the characters and continuing the franchise is marvellous. Sadly, it's Judy Dench's last bottom film. Yeah. And she's been great for the last seven films. I've mm-hmm. really liked her as M. Um, I just had an inkling that it might be her swan song because the only, I tried to avoid spoilers before the film and I didn't really watch any of the publicity. The only brief snippet I caught was, I think I caught a little bit of the Graham Norton show when they had them on and they mentioned that uh, M has a lot more to do in this film. And that just kind of made me think, ah, well, maybe that's her swan song. You always give someone a little bit more to do. Yeah. But it's echoes of my favourite Bond on the Majesty's Secret Service. Mm. That someone born, not in the same way, obviously, but someone no. born cares about very much dies yeah. with Bond next to them. Mm-hmm. And that was very, you know, very well handled and very well done, you know. And it rounds, you know, it rounds off, you know, sort of, you know, nicely. And then we've got um, another couple of spoilers coming. <laughs> there is, of course, Eve. Now, Eve is a great field agent. Yeah. She's at the beginning of the film, she's throughout the film, she's mm-hmm. action. and there's a lovely scene at the end with Bond and her on the roof of a building looking over London talking. And I think you're a non-Bond fan and got it way ahead of me. Yeah. But, you know, when she decides no longer to be a field agent, yeah. I'm going, oh my God, that's money penny. Yeah. And it was beautiful. Mm. She was almost even wearing a dress that it probably wasn't, but looked very similar to what Lois Maxwell used to wear yeah. in the 60s. Yeah. And it's a lovely scene. They go down to, to her little office outside yeah. M's office Hangs a coat up. Hangs sits the coat. behind her office. Uh, behind her office desk. Yeah, and Bond says we've never been formally introduced. Mm. She says my name's Eve. Eve Moneypenny. Mm. And it's perfect. She's great. I like her. And it's a nice even nod back to Lois Maxwell, who was obviously the longest serving Moneypenny. Mm. You know, through a lot of James Bonds from Doctor yeah. No. Um, you know, pretty much up to the Roger Moore's last film, mm-hmm. Beauty to a Kill. And she always said about Moneypenny, there was no background to the character. No. It was very, and she always said, Bond and Money Penny have had an affair. It's over with now. And they, they still flirt, yeah. they're friends, but it's a business relationship. Yeah. And that's exactly what Money Penny and Bond mm. are about to become in the next film. Yeah. And I also love the fact, and here's anal Bond time, <laughs> um, it's no longer the glossy, slick 21st century office. No. She's outside M's office with the leather padded door. Mm-hmm. And it's lovely. It's back to the old time, you know. Pop and Bond doesn't wear a hat and throw on the hat stand. <laughs> but they and then they walk into the office, and you just know earlier in the film you've had Ray Fiennes, great actor playing yeah. Mallory. Mm-hmm. Mallory is not very keen on him. He's trying to sort out the mess the Secret Service is in. Yeah. He's shot and wounded in the film. And of course, when Bond walks in, you know he's going to be there, but they hint even bigger by saying, you know. Bonds are saying about, how's your arm, sir? Mm. Turns round, there's Rafe Fines. Rafe yeah. Fines is the new M. And I loved the ending. You know, I was ecstatic after 50 years. And I've seen the Bond films for the last 38 years now. I'm still not... <laughs> well, I can't believe I haven't grown out of them. I'm still a kid. But to come out of a Bond film, and I'm excited about the next one. We've got mm. a new Q, a new Moneypenny, a new M. Yeah. 
an old James Bond, <laughs> although to me he's still the Daniel Craig, yeah. it sets up the franchise beautifully. Ray Fiennes saying, are you ready to go to work, 007? Yeah. And you I'm just leave the cinema with a spring in your step. You do, you walk out and you think, I can't wait for the next one. Mm. And I hope, my, my, my minor anal criticism, the gun barrel that Bond walks, turns and shoots at the end of the film will now be back at the beginning mm. because that was even in the Roger Moore era or you get a weak Bond or a weak Bond film at least you got the gun barrel <laughs> to get you through it and I do hope this will really carry on reviving the franchise and I'd be totally happier if the same cast the same writer the same director Sam Mendes all mm. come back for mm. the next one I would really like that well he's made a fantastic case for doing another one but obviously he's very much in demand so you do wonder whether he will be available to do it. Well, it did surprise me that Bond is a big thing, and I thought Judy Dench, she does not, you know, big films, small films, but you've got Ray Fiennes mm-hmm. as M. Mm. He does big films. He's a known actor, but he knows it's worthwhile making time in yeah. his schedule to play M in the Bond film. Mm. Back in the day when Bernard Lee first played M, or Robert Brown later, it was a minor role for actors who did some things, like, they did things outside, Yeah, but... You know, for certainly for Bernard Lee, in the end, Bond became his bread and butter. He did films like The Third Man and stuff, but as he got older, Bond was all he was doing yeah. and was bringing his money, whereas Ray Fiennes has got a huge amount of money. But it's really nice that an actor of his standing has put, mm-hmm. you know, Bond to one side and said, yeah, I play M, I can do that. You know, I'm going to be CB. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think I hope... Judy Dench set the benchmark for that, really, when they kind of brought her in. She was, I don't know how well-known she was, Outside the UK, but certainly within the UK, she was a very respected actress. There are in America, I've heard that people don't know she does anything outside of M. Mm. They, you know, there are obviously there are more films now. Her, Maggie Smith, and various older actresses and actors who appear in them. Yeah. Um, so she's known in that respect, but as a as a theatre actress, mm. uh, it was good. In fact, it was something. If anyone didn't see Graham Norton interviewing Javier Bardem, Daniel Craig, and Judy Dench, um, they were telling a lovely story about. <clears throat> doing a scene and Judy Dench's mobile phone went off and it plays the James Bond theme. <laughs> so it isn't just people who do podcasts who are, you know, <laughs> slightly anal about everything. Even the great Judy Dench has the James Bond theme. We're the all Even nerds. I don't do that. Yeah, in our own way, we're all Yeah, nerds. Even Judy Dench, we can, you know, we, yeah, we can live with cool. that. Yeah. <laughs> so is there anything else that we should I could try and cram in? 25 hours on Bond, <laughs> but I don't. No, I don't think there's anything. Um, there is a Bond link to something outside of Bond. Mm-hmm. The lovely Honor Blackman. Yeah. Famed for very classy roles like Kathy Gale in The Avengers and yeah. Pussy Glow and Goldfinger. Mm-hmm. Her latest movie, Cockneys vs. Zombies. Ah, I didn't know she was in that. Is worth checking out. Mm. Um, I won't give anything away. Um, it's got Cockneys in it. Zombies, maybe? They fight zombies. Yeah. That's pretty much That's it. That's all you um, need to know. Yeah, there's cameos from old actors like um, Dudley Sutton, who was in things like The Devils, mm-hmm. uh, Richard Briers, Tony Selby. Um, worth, you know, worth seeing. Glitz. Yeah. <laughs> worth seeing. Yeah, see, classic, classic yeah. links there. Worth seeing for anyone's money, because I love the fact, you know, zombies, they're very slow. Mm-hmm. Richard Briers. Trying to outrun the zombies with a Zimmer frame. <laughs> worth it for anyone's money. So that is something, yeah, worth checking out. Take your brain out. Entertaining. Quite a reasonable budget for a, mm-hmm. a B-movie. And on a black woman with a machine gun. And just, yeah. What's I won't not give to a, like? <laughs> yeah, I won't give anything away. But that's um, quite quite a fun 
um, strange Bond link. But yes, there's many hours I could go on about Bond, but I, <laughs> I wouldn't want to put any viewers into, into a coma. Anything else non-Bond related that you're enthusiastic about at um, the moment? Yeah, I, I, yeah, book and a TV series being brief. Yeah. The book has no link to anything really it, it's a factual book called Londoners okay. and Londoners is written by Craig Taylor mm. it is literally interviews with people who live in London okay. oh, and some who used to live there it's marvellous mm. I won't go give away the whole book but they interview very very people someone might work in finance in London mm. someone sweeps the road someone's a nurse, a teacher uh, lovely anecdotes. They interview a beekeeper. He keeps beehives on the top of the Royal Festival Hall. Hmm. The beehives are in the shape of the Festival Hall. Okay. And one of my favourites, I think, is um, Emma Clark. Now, I'd never heard of Emma Clark, hmm. but anyone who goes to London will know Emma Clark's voice. She's the voice of the London Underground. Ah. And so if you hear Mind the next cat. station is Piccadilly or this is a Northern Line train, hmm. Emma Clark does the voice. And she tells some lovely stories about getting the part. She was offered it. She was having a meal with her boyfriend. Mm. Told her boyfriend she got the part. And he was like, oh no, I'm going to hear you everywhere. <laughs> nice. A little while later, they split up. They were mm. still in touch occasionally. And he said, I have a bad day at work. I get the tube home. And I hear your voice. It's like <laughs> I'm being haunted. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Marvel, I love London. I love the London Underground especially. Mm. But visiting London, anybody wants to book London is by Craig Taylor. Mm-hmm. Well worth checking. Film-wise... Obviously, copies <laughs> versus zombies. Yeah. And last thing, probably TV-wise, an American TV series called American Horror Story. Ah, yes. American Horror Story, Dylan McDermott. I never remember his name. I hope it's Dylan McDermott. Apologises if it's to anyone who's listening, if it isn't. He's been in um, oh films like Hardware, Hamburger Hill. Mm-hmm. It is 12 episodes set in a house. Mm-hmm. Um Jessica Lang, a very good actress, uh, despite the fact she started off in the 70s remake of King Kong, which isn't mm. that bad, but, you know, um, <laughs> she, she's she got a main role in this. And it's yeah. literally, it is set in the house, a family move into it, strange things happen. It sounds very cheesy, but it's not. It's mm. pretty serious. There uh, are some humorous moments in it. And you see flashbacks to the house in the 60s, the 70s, mm. the 80s. And it's really well thought out, yeah. very good stories, well well filmed, well written, well directed, well acted. It's not just a it's not just a like teen sort of twilight thing. It's mm. not. It's a really good adult horror story. Yeah. They're working on the second series now. Uh, but in an odd way, um, I don't know much about the series uh, yet, but I know Jessica Lang is back in it, hmm. but playing a completely different character. Okay. So they're doing another series, but it might hmm. be totally different. But the first series of American Horror Story, wherever you can check it out on television, DVD, yeah. it, it is really, really good. And I, you know, On the last episode that went out with Peter, um, we had quite a bit of feedback, and uh, one of them was from Sean Homerig, who does a, guess what, another doctor who based podcast and that's one of the things that's really getting him excited at the moment is american horror story so i must check that out at some point the quality is the quality of dexter Mm. the other american series Mm. i mentioned on the last podcast with michael c hall it's a really high quality well written Mm -hmm. you know very literary almost sort of horror story and yeah i was i was very impressed from beginning to end with that excellent well when you come back next time 
maybe we'll do a whole one just on Doctor No or <laughs> People go, I missed that one, yeah. yeah. I must admit my my daughter, who may be only twelve, but she did say to me the other week, Dad, why are you seeing Skyfall? I said, why do you think? She said, you watched the trailer enough. Is it really worth seeing the film? <laughs> uh, but there is nice. only one thing I'd like to end on. Oh, yeah. Uh, before you round off. And that is to say, although it's the end of the podcast, do remember, Mark Cochran will return. Oh, very good. Very good. Thank you, Bill. Thanks for coming on again. Thank you very much for asking.